3: Welcome to the Inside Carolina On The Beat Live. It is Thursday night, a little after 8 o'clock. Fashionably late start here with Inside Carolina. Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Football Roundtable. We've got a few of the crew in the building, hopefully a few more join us in a minute, but we're going to get right down to it. Buck Sanders, as you know, um, broken on your website today, Greg Barnes reported that Jay Bateman will not be back in North Carolina for the 2022 season. My thought was this is purely um, reactionary to what happened in the South Carolina game. I want to get your take on that, Buck. Is that the case, or is it much deeper than what's gone on this past 2021 season?
4: Well, I think you could approach it from several different angles. Uh, I I think you're on to something that the South Carolina game had a lot to do with it. But if you've got the 105th-ranked scoring defense in the nation um, and you're in your third year, of being a defensive coordinator at that school um you know it's like uh I love Lucy uh Ricky you got some explaining to do um so I mean what are you going to do in that situation uh I think uh the the Bateman thing probably does uh relate to the end of the season the way the the uh the game ended against NC State and It was a defensive collapse in the last two minutes of that game. North Carolina had it easily in hand and it, there's no one else to put, pin that on. I mean, the defense just collapsed in that game and, and then in the South Carolina game, um, they just came out and got their butts handed to them the entire game. I mean, they, they just never really, um, you know, got the the world's on its right axis during that entire game. And there's no, uh,
0: there's nothing to collapse from is what you're saying.
4: Right. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, in any event, I think uh, the NC state game and the South Carolina game, um, I think everybody recognizes that changes had to be made and it had to be, it couldn't, they just couldn't fire the, uh, the graduate assistant in charge of the, you know, the defensive tackle or something, you know, that it had to be a, a large enough name and hopefully a large enough hire in replacement of the defensive coordinator to provide some hope and some excitement headed into the 2022 season. That's my take on it.
3: Yeah, I agree there. It, you had to have a name, at least one. I said it before. It kind of reminds me of the walking dead episode when they're walking across the hill and all these heads are on the pike. Uh, there had to be one and it had to be at least a big one possibly some other ones we'll see about that Mike Ingersoll bring you in before I get VIP Um, I said off air and I say this we can talk about who they're going to get and what replacements are out there but the bottom line is whoever it is this team has got to get this team playing hard playing consistently hard and all that I mean how difficult is that in college football these days it seems like it's been a a trend for carolina a little bit over the last few years
0: i think if you got guys that are comfortable in a system and they know they can be successful in that sit in that system and they're going out and they're actually having success on saturdays it's not hard to get people to play hard um I, I think the real thing we have is we have a we've talked about this vip and ej and i have talked about this on some podcasts but i think there's been a a, a player development issue um and, it, you know, that, that isn't just – I mean, that isn't a this staff thing. That spans, in my opinion, two staffs. You know, we've got players that are coming in, you know, highly ranked. I mean, we have got three, four, some five-star guys. And from what I'm seeing is they come in at, at that level, and then two, three years in, they're not much more advanced from that level. And there comes a point where you have to stop blaming the players for that. Um, player development is on the players, particularly young and early in their careers, as much as anybody. But there does come a point where a player has been, I'll call it plateaued. But if not, you know, in, in these cases, what I'm seeing is really not improved much from the day they walk in the door. You, you take a little bit of onus off the players and it, it heads to a coach. And like we just talked about with Jay Bateman, I mean, as much as as I thought we talked about this off air that I thought he was going to be the you know max next will must champ. But that this time it would actually happen. The coach in waiting kind of thing. I fully expected Jay Bateman to be the next head coach of the football team um, to keep the staff intact and to keep some continuity from some of that momentum we were building, or at least that we thought we were building from that orange bowl season. Uh, now, two years ago um, with him gone, you know, I think that's a clear sign that the staff is recognizing there's some development issues and they had to do something about it.
3: Yep. Um, just first blush, how much just changing one coach or a couple coaches make a difference for a football team
1: yeah I'm glad you asked this because I I'm of somebody of the belief that I think Jay Bateman is putting players in a position schematically to do the right thing now why they're not executing that's a that's a different story I think that a lot of this team's problems goes goes back to the culture in the locker room and from from talking with people around the program like This team thought they were going to be in the national championship conversation, regardless of what Mac Brown says after after they start losing some games. And all of a sudden you you start um, changing your expectations. And this team, from what I've been told, this team was walking around this summer like like they were going to be in the national championship conversation. And we saw pretty quickly against Virginia Tech how how off base that was and how off-base that reality was with this team. So I think that this team has a lot of problems that it needs to address first in the locker room. The problem is you're going, the end of year three, nothing has changed with, with that culture. So I think, obviously, you have to make a change. That's why, that's why Jay Bateman isn't coming back next year, because somebody has to be held accountable from the room of the people who are making over a million dollars a year um, to try to get this thing figured out. But I think this, the problem for Carolina football, it goes way deeper than, than a defensive coordinator and just switching. I, I know like a lot of fans want like blood when a team underperforms as much as this team has, I don't think something as simple as changing the defensive coordinator is going to fix the problem. I don't want to compare it to like a sinking ship because I think this program is going in the right way um, from a trajectory standpoint with recruiting, but it's almost like you're you're just covering up a hole on a boat with your hands when there's there's multiple holes elsewhere with how much problems that this team does have starting in that locker. What what's also true, Tommy?
0: Piggybacking off that, and Taylor makes great points all around. I agree with all of them. The other thing to think about too is in the short term, at least this off season, there's going to be a little fallout in that locker room. So there might be, you know, this is one of those maybe you got to go down, you know, to get to the light kind of thing. You got to go, you know, things got a little bit worse before they get a little bit better from a culture standpoint because there's going to be players that are devoted to Jay Bateman. Um, There's going to be players that. You know, we're really going to be upset about this. There's going to be some players that are going to be really happy about this. And you're going to have some division there in the locker room, you know, for a short while. Then when a new coach, when a new defensive coordinator comes in, you know, we don't know if he's going to want to bring in some of his own position coaches. We don't know what's going to happen, what, what conversation is going to take place between Mac and that new hire. So we don't know how many more changes there are going to be. But even assuming it's one human being, it's just a coordinator. And he comes in to get all of his assistant coaches that are already on the roster get them on the same page under his scheme. That new coordinator, there's going to be an adjustment period for the players who are going to be feeling him out too. And there's going to be a little push and pull. There's going to be some tension. There's going to be some um, some pushback and maybe some, you know, uncomfortable things that happen when the new coordinator comes in. So that, you know, that period of discord, I'll call it, you know, that adjustment period, for lack of a better term, that's going to be extended through spring ball. Um, and there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to get, you know, talk about separating the wheat from the chaff. There's going to be a lot of that going on and it's going to be uncomfortable for a lot of the guys that are still on this roster. Um, and the guys that are, you know, loyalists to Jay Bateman that don't get over that in time for this, you know, when this new coordinator comes in, they might be out the door. They might be demoted that create, that might create more locker room problems and it can feed itself until it ultimately, you know, it will ultimately sort itself out, you know, wheat from chaff, it will eventually clear itself up and everything will sort of, you know, homeostasis will be, you know, achieved at some point. It's just a matter of how long is that going to take, Now that you're interjecting somebody new into what is already like Taylor described, sounds like a, not a volatile, but a a shaky locker room situation.
2: And Vip, going back to kind of what you said, someone in the chat asked if what you're saying is true, why were those feelings that way initially then, right? Like where's, where's the change of bringing in, bringing in Bateman of Greg pointed out many times on this show and writings and stuff that let's give Bateman some credit here. He's never coached the power five level, and then it just didn't work out. So just kind of a little more elaboration, I guess, is asked about why you thought that people did feel that Bateman could be could be the guy.
1: Well, I I think the disconnect between the players' expectations and like what happened um, this season, it, it kind of goes back to the point where that this team just thought they were a lot better than they were. And it was a case of them reading their own press clippings. Like they went to the Orange Bowl last year. They returned a ton of talent. They have somebody as good as Sam Howell. And when when you have all those those things, you kind of expect everything to go your way. And that was one of the points that um, Trey Boston made with me when we did a video before uh, the Mayo Bowl, where it's like this team, just just from the outside looking in, all the former players talk about it, that this team plays like they expect teams to just roll over for them, and they expect respect to be just given to them, and you see that in the first quarter of the, of the past three Power 5 games that they played where they're being outscored 49 nothing. where, like we talked about with Mike and EJ on our podcast, this team has a target on their back. Everybody knows that in the building. Everybody knows that in the stadium, except for this North Carolina team. <laughs> Everybody knows it. It's their prestigious university. They went to the Orange Bowl last year. They have a quarterback as good as Sam Howell. Even even earlier in the season, they had the the top ten ranking attached to their name. And there's just a disconnect there between the players and and the coaching staff to to get these guys playing at the at the the highest level. And I've I've talked with like a bunch of people, and I think the biggest complaint people have with the coaching staff. Is when Mac Brown comes out and he's like, "I don't want to be too hard on these players because you can't be too hard on this generation of players because people are going to transfer and people are going to leave." At this point, like, who cares? Who cares if they do leave? Because we're gonna at some point, you're gonna get players that care about this program that care about putting on the North Carolina uniform, and you're kind of seeing that on the basketball side too. Not to bring basketball into this, but it's it's an athletic department problem right now where. There there is a disconnect between what it means to play for North Carolina and what's going on in the locker room. And I think it's I think it's something that has to be addressed from from the coaching staff. They're getting paid way too much money in that building to kind of just be content with what's going on right now.
5: There's a one-word there's one word that describes it all, and that's entitlement.
3: And the question and the follow-up question to that to Jason and you know, everybody listening to this, I hopefully heard your words on our day after podcast with Buck and I, um, last week is how does it change and can changing a member of the coaching staff make that big a difference? Vip says and believes that it doesn't, it won't I'm somewhere in between. All I know is that it depends
5: on what this,
1: the new defensive coordinator demands. I think.
5: It also depends on how much the new defensive coordinator is empowered and what other changes are made around that. So I agree with Vip. Getting rid of one coaching staff member, and Mike said the same thing, getting rid of one guy isn't going to – that's not going to solve the problem. That's just – I mean, that, that doesn't solve anything. In the, if, short term, it might
0: cre- in the short term, it might create some more problems until they th- sort it out.
5: That's exactly right. It, it, at that point, you've, you've got additional problems that you're dealing with. That doesn't solve anything you have to get to the actual cultural root in order to get there. And I'll just say this, if it was just a defensive problem that we'd observed all season, then you could say, okay, well, you change the head guy on the defensive side and, you know, you get new culture on that side of the ball or whatever, but let's be honest. It's not like the offensive side of the ball went out and just blew people off the ball and showed physicality and, and played with great effort across the board at every position, you know, on every play. This has been a soft, entitled football team from the jump. I mean, from the first half of Virginia Tech to the, the final play against South Carolina, this was a soft team. And firing or, you know, parting ways with, however you want to characterize that, you know, parting ways with one coordinator doesn't solve that problem. And it does have to start at the top. I mean, like, like, like you said, Vip, it has to start with the, with the coaching staff and I said this – I mean, Tommy, you, you, you alluded to it already. I said this in the, in the day after podcast that they're going to have to figure out how to handle these players. And you just said the same thing. You can't be soft on these players. You can't act like, oh, this is a different generation of players, so we need to treat them
0: differently. Do you think Nick Saban thinks that way? Well, the players you got in the room, you, got, you, got, you have to have players in the room that aren't afraid to be coached. And aren't afraid to be coached hard. And those players exist. They're everywhere. And you um, got
5: to Not just guys that are, that aren't afraid to be coached hard, but you want players. You have to who, have players guys that guys want who want to be coached to be coached hard. And I'm, coach, and I uh, please do not let up on me, please. Cause I want to, I want, you know, Mike, you know, this you, you want, you go to your coach. Like, what is it? Like, don't let, don't let me leave me past on this because I want to make, I want to get paid for this.
0: Yeah. I don't want to suck. That, that was always, you know, that, that was always my thing. And, you know, it, I was a, I was a marginally good player and I had opportunities after college because, you know, I tried to stay in Sam Pittman's ear as much as humanly possible. And he showed me some things. I tried to stay in the older players' ears as much as possible and pick up as much stuff as I could. And I did just enough to have, you know, some opportunities later, um, you know, that, you know, from an athletic standpoint, maybe I, maybe I wouldn't have normally had, Um, And I was, you know, I had a locker room full of guys that felt that way. And I'd be willing to bet that if there's a hundred guys on this team, that the vast majority of them either overtly feel that way now, like they want to be coached hard. They want to be good. They want to get better. You know, they want to be told what they're screwing up so they can improve. And if they don't know it, you know, if they're not, if they don't know it and they're not expressing it overtly, you know, sometimes when you show players that they realize they do like it and they want it and they want more of it. Because there's benefits that come along with it. And once they see those benefits, like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, yeah, no, like ride my ass. Like I wanna, I I wanna do well. Um, I wanna play well, I wanna get paid for this one day. You know, I didn't think that was possible last year, but now I mean this was my situation. I didn't think that was possible last year, but now all of a sudden it looks like it might be. Get me there. Like tell me what I gotta do to get over the hump What's the
5: what's the next step that I need to take? And please don't let up on me.
0: Exactly. And there's and there's players that don't know that now that it's in them. You just have to actually, you got to show it. You got to show them what it looks like and let them decide for themselves. And I'd be willing to bet this team, because I believe this about all young people um, as especially high level football players. It's in, it's in the majority of those guys in that locker room right now, you just have to give it to them and it has to, you have to, it's got to come out of them. You got to nurture it out of them. Um, And the way you nurture it is by being not nurturing, but you know, a hard ass (laughs) love man. Yeah. You need got,
5: tough love. And the other thing that you, and this is something, again, I, I mentioned on the day after podcast, the other thing that really has to happen is you have to identify the, the player leaders who are those guys and yeah, empower them, that up. them and empower them. And I know Vip, you've been on this, on this train for, for the whole season, right? I mean, this has been a theme and I've been saying it too, that you have to find those guys and empower them and say, look, if I just keep, if I'm the only guy that's talking about this, that's saying, Hey, you know, we got to step up here. Then eventually I become Charlie Brown's teacher. Whoa, 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 whoa. Like you've got to be that guy. Like, and I think actually that's one of the, I don't want to get too critical of Sam Howell here, but I do think that that was a weakness of Sam Howell as a, as a leader. He, he was a, he's the best quarterback in school history. He did a tremendous amount for this program but I said it early in the year. At what point is Sam going to grab somebody the, by the face mask and say, dude, do, what you, do your job. At what point is he going to lose, his, lose his, his mind, go after some guy, and everybody's going to realize like, oh, it just got real. Because when that guy goes, go, goes, goes nuts on you, that means it's serious at what point does the quiet guy, I mean, you have to, you can be a quiet lead by example guy, but if you're the leader and you're, and your team is not going where they need to go at some point, you've got to bark. And I, I felt like on this team, there was a lack of player leadership of guys who would hold other guys accountable to be the player coach, to be, you know, to on, on yours, your, you know, using your, uh, Idea, Mike, of just ride. I'm going to ride you. They're going to ride you, and I'm going to ride you. Now, some of that is that those players who are going to ride you, they better be better play. They better be good players, right? Uh, You know, it, it, I was a bad player, Mike, and so you know that sort of thing coming from me isn't going to do a whole
0: lot. That 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 stuff happens, and I can tell you, it's annoying.
5: Yeah, yeah. So you know, <laughs> the bad player can't do that, but you, but you know, your your real leader, your good players. Have to be the guys that are get are getting coached hard, and you know this is something. Uh, years ago, I talked to Jimbo Fisher about, and I know he didn't always, you know, put his money where his mouth was here in this respect, but he talked about how in practice, he went out of his way to uh, be hardest to go after and light up his best players. So there was, a, there was a time in the preparation leading up to the BCS National Championship game where he threw Jameis Winston out of practice. Just threw him out, get out. And I talked to him about it and he kind of had a twinkle in his eye of like, well, you got to do it once in a while. You got to pick your best guy, the guy, you know, that, who can take it. And you, you have your hair trigger with him and then everybody else falls in line because you just took out their leader. And you got to make sure that they know who the, who the guy in charge is. And what had happened is Jameis had made a throw. Jimbo didn't like it. And he said, what did you see? You, you, know, you need to go over there. And Jameis, as he always would. well, But you know, I saw, get out. Why? Well, the next year, the guy he kicked out of practice to make the same point with J- was Jalen Ramsey. So it's these sorts of things. And you know, does that always work? No. I mean, they, that culture fell apart down there, too. So that's not, you know, it's not a thing of like kick out one guy per, you know, per so every, every so often a practice or whatever, but the idea is you coach your best players the hardest. So, and then that filters downhill so that those best players and leaders then help enforce that same mentality downstream. And I think that's something that they have to do. And and Vip, you're 100% right that this whole approach of like these you know, oh, kids these days are different. We gotta, we gotta worry about the tra- the transfer portal. Look, if that guy's not able to take the hard coaching, you don't want him on your team. I don't care how talented he is, you can't, you can't win that way. We just saw it this year. You can't win with those guys. So, coach him hard, and you, you know, it's the whole man- the old management uh, adage of lead up or out. Yeah. You're gonna follow us up,
0: or you're gonna get out. I remember uh, Jordan Nix, folks may not remember Jordan, but he was a defensive tackle we had transferring. He was at Oklahoma when we played. And I remember, this is back when Bob Stoops was at Oklahoma. And, you know, we asked him, like, what's the program like out there? And he was like, it's it's the worst. Like, practices are horrible. He was comparing Butch's practices to Bob Stoops' practices. And he's like, out here, it's just, like, Butch cares about the players. We focus on, you know – therapy and everybody's fresh and you know practices are crisp and we get on the field we get off the field you know and he it, it's just a whole it's a totally different world you know and the other thing too is like we'd be out there in Oklahoma and we'd be in full pads every single day and Bob would literally run people off the team and we'd have five-star guys quitting I mean every season we'd have multiple guys that are four or five-star recruits and they would just quit the team and Bob didn't care
5: and Those the reason is
0: like that <laughs> And the reason Bob didn't care was because he knew he had a four or five star backing that guy up. So you can leave. We're going to be fine. We're going to run Oklahoma drills. We're going to tackle in practice. We're going to have pads on, you know, full pads, you know, legs all, you know, every day. Um, you know, we're going full pads on, on Tuesday, Wednesday, we're going shoulder pads on Thursday, and it's going to be a hard <laughs> practice Thursday, not a walkthrough, you know, and if you don't like it, you can get out of here because there's somebody behind you that's just as good point being you got to get to a point in your program. I I don't, I don't look at Alabama's transfer numbers, but I would assume that they're, they're low compared to the amount of talent on that roster. Um, But the guys that leave Saban, you know, doesn't care that they leave because he knows he's got the talent behind them that he's just going to, they're just going to fill in and they're going to be fine. You got to get your program to that point to where you don't care about coaching guys hard because the consequence of them leaving doesn't matter because the guy behind them wants to play. Is just as talented, and we'll take that coaching. And you'll just keep on keeping on business as usual from a coaching staff perspective. Yep,
5: and and that's how it was with with Coach Bowden as well. in the In the late nineties, early two thousands, it, it was you know you're gonna you're gonna see guys quit. We're gonna we're gonna find out whether or not you are the kind of person, not the kind of player, but the kind of person who can handle this stuff. And you know the 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 old rule is. You want practice to be harder than the games. Practice should always be harder than the games. Games should be a celebration of having outprepared and outworked your opponent. And you know, I I don't think that's what we're seeing. And the thing, what you were just saying, Mike, is you want to get your program there. the The difficulty is that a lot of people think that you need to get your program there by recruiting those players first, and then you can kind of turn the screws and finally, you know turn the corner and develop those players to where now, okay, now we can get hard on them because we've got enough depth to run a few guys off and not suffer. The problem is that that kind of puts the cart before the horse. You have to, you have to build the hard edge, the physicality and the, and the, 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 hardness of your program up front in order to, in order to win enough to attract that talent that then builds into that, that culture that then, Okay, well, we just ran off of a five star. He he just was not a he was not made of the sterner stuff we need. But because we built our program here, we're gonna we're gonna be fine. Uh, and I think actually the the way of thinking about this of you don't want guys to go into the transfer portal, so you coach them a little bit lighter, is the wrong is completely the wrong the wrong way. I actually think the transfer portal should be seen exactly the other way, right the okay, well, we're going to coach you so hard that if you decide to leave in the transfer portal, the great thing about the transfer portal is we're going to be able to find someone else who wants in on a team with the hardworking culture and the, and the, uh, the toughness that we want on our team. We're going to be able to replace you. With, maybe we don't have that four-star waiting, but when some other four-star who's transferring out from some other place who's dissatisfied by the lack of quality there finds out that you're transferring because you are too soft to be here. Maybe we can get the guy who can replace you from the portal. So I think, you know, that goes two different ways, right? I I just don't think you can coach in fear of the transfer portal these days. You just, that is, that is, that is toxic. Uh, you have to coach to win, to win and create a tough culture and tough football teams win. Soft football teams don't win to the level of their talent. And, you know, if you coach that way, you're going to get soft football teams. And I, I think that's what Carolina was. And, and one other thing that, that, you know, Vip, you were talking about, this team came into the year expecting teams to, to, to um, uh, roll over for them. Interesting thing is, you know, the entitlement that, that, that is in place there I know a number of fans at different points, some of the folks on the, you know, on the tar pit premium message board, you know, sort of took umbrage at, at my comments in prior years, say with Clemson, for example, when they very, they should have beaten Clemson a couple of years ago, right. At Keenan in year one of Mac, they should have, Carolina should have won that game. And I observed that Clemson came into that game with their vanilla package and really didn't prepare for North Carolina the same way that they'd, do for teams that they kind of regard as closer to peers. They just didn't. And that's when you have more of a chance of upsetting that kind of team. Carolina gave them their best shot, minus the the finish. And Clemson wasn't fully prepared for that. And there were some folks that were like, wait, you so you're saying they don't take they didn't take Carolina as seriously? No, they did not take them as seriously as they do Alabama. Well, I'm sorry, they just didn't thing is you go to the orange bowl you're north carolina and you go to the orange bowl guess what happens with those teams the next year people take them seriously Uh uh-huh so when you're you know wake forest and you're establishing your schedule most years you say okay clemson circle that one (laughs) right or you may, maybe you just cross that one off, like we're gonna lose that one. But what ones can we circle? Is that we're gonna put our extra, you know, extra scheme into this one. We're gonna save some wrinkles and tendency breakers for this one. All right, Florida State, you know, we're gonna circle that one. Most years, right? Uh, NC State is a you know divisional rival that you know they're gonna circle there. Uh, North Carolina in-state, whatever. Maybe they're a bad example, but you know you start thinking down the list of okay, who's gonna circle North Carolina on their schedule? Most years, you got a couple rivals and then most everybody else, it's a regular conference game. You go to the orange bowl. You're one of the top two teams on everybody's schedule. But you got Sam Howell coming into town. So now you go in and you expect that you're going to be able to play just like you did on your way to the orange bowl and have the same results. It's harder. It's harder to sustain success than to get success. Because when you when you have success, you can do it kind of as the as the one that's chased. The moment that you have success, everybody's trying to knock you off that hill that much harder, and you better come with it. You better strap up and come harder yourself, because they're going to come harder than they did before. And this team didn't meet that test.
3: So y'all ran through about every question I had for the podcast there, but I wanted to come back to Buck on the the transfer portal and the nice guy thing. And I think it's relevant on the basketball side as well. Uh, a couple of things. One, but are you surprised we're even here in Mac 2.0, given um, what we discussed with him coming back and all. And then that first year. And also too, I'd like your take on that coaching hard versus coaching to be liked mentality. It seems like this, this crowd has now, I I think, To Jason's point, to Mike's point, yeah, players want to be coached hard, but I think this staff has—and I could be um, wrong—but it certainly played it out on the field is that they coach not to have guys leave, and I think that is a—I think that was pretty clear this year, Buck. What's your take on all of that, and on the fact that we're even having these these discussions of a soft football
4: team under Mac Brown? I think it's uh, very easy to use um, a broad brush to paint a team um, and to generalize and say that this team is X or this team is Y or what have you. Um, I think back to uh, the first couple of years after Matt came back, uh, you know, he had chess rat at linebacker. And he had Javante Williams at tailback. Now, if I'm coaching a team, the two guys on my team that I would love to have to help illustrate to the rest of the team, what toughness is and how to exhibit toughness on a football field, it would be a running back that knows how to truck defenders, um, you know, five, 10, 15 yards down the field. And it would be a linebacker that's 6'3, 245 that could run in and tackle people and get them on the ground. And they didn't have those guys last year. They did not have a guy until uh, British Brooks showed it a little bit in the Waffle game and the NC state game that, uh, in the backfield that could, uh, come out and, and truck a player. And, uh, the guys that have played the game before I'm sure could speak to when you see something like that happen on the field, when you see a running back run absolutely through a guy and crush him, that somehow provides some inspiration to your own efforts. And that if you have a linebacker that, uh, knives through the line and slams the quarterback to the ground. Uh, like a rag doll that inspires you defensively um, and so North carolina and, and the, the guys spoke to that a little bit that uh, you coach your best players the hardest but those guys need to be really good those leaders need to be good uh, otherwise it's not going to matter you know how how much you coach them or, or how much those players can persuade and talk to and inspire the, uh, their teammates, you can, you can talk to your tongue catchers on fire, but unless you can play with your hair on fire, it's not going to matter. Um, so I think North Carolina was missing a couple of specific types of players, um, that they had in the program that were no, they no longer had in the program. And even leaving, losing somebody like curious kindly, who's got that, uh, you know, brutal mentality, you know, getting to the ball carrier with bad intentions. Um, when he left the team that took another, uh, slice of, uh, physicality away from the team. So I I think it's, uh, you know, we can, uh, pontificate and, and talk about this or that culture, blah, blah, blah thing left and right, but unless you have those guys, um, that know how to step up and kick butt and demonstrate it to the rest of the team, uh, you can keep talking, um, and point, I forget which one of the guys made it about, uh, coaching somebody, but, um, if you've ever read, uh, Phil Sims book, uh, Phil talks about Bill Parcells would come to him before practice and say, Phil, look, at a certain point during practice, I'm going to crawl your butt. I'm going to talk crap to you, throw you off the field and send you to the locker room, and I want you to just suck it up and take one for the team because I need to show everybody on the team, on the offense, that uh, I'm not afraid to get after you know, my leader, uh, on offense. And so I'm just giving you a heads up it's, no, don't take it personally. It's going to happen. And he did it. You know, I mean, he would just get in the middle of practice and he just get after Phil for no particular reason. Just throw his ass out and send him to the locker room. Um, and, and Phil understood that. And that was okay. The player he never got after for any reason was Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence Taylor could be over on the <laughs> sideline talking to some girls in the stands, you know, or picking daisies and, uh, Bill Parcells would say crap to him, you know, let LT do whatever LT wants to do, you know? So, uh, I, <laughs> it's an interesting read that section of, uh, Phil's book. I can't remember the name of it, but, uh, in any event, uh, I think that you have to have And one critical piece of this, I mean, everything that the guy said, I don't mean to be dismissive of it, but I think if you're going to have a team that exhibits the kind of culture that Tommy wants and Jason wants and everybody here wants, you got to have a few players that don't know how to do anything but take names and kick butt. I mean, they're just going to take the field and just go out there and try to rip somebody's head off. And, you know, I think they've got some of those guys that we haven't seen enough of, um, to this point, guys like power Eccles, uh, is, is a guy that, you know, uh, exhibits those traits of having little regard for other people's bodily, uh, integrity.
0: Uh, it's got a little stank. Yeah. A little stank you know, about him.
4: There you go. And so I, I think whether it's one coach or three dozen coaches, what needs to have happen is players stepping up and having the kind of physicality that is contagious play. Other players see it and they emulate it. And that's how that culture changes, uh, is by having that handful of guys that are just mean. So
2: uh, that's kind of my take on it. I've seen, so I've, this is not irrelevant, but I've seen some things in the chat asking about when we think an official announcement is coming with Jay Bateman, things like that. It's important to note that staff and players are on break still, and semester starts back up on Monday. Um, so that's kind of timeline-wise. I don't know how early it'll be or how late, but as far as hearing from UNC, just take that into account when official announcements. Uh, uh, stuff like that. If you like
4: allow that. me, Gregory, I think I probably ought to mention, I haven't seen anybody else talk about it too much um is the uh AFCA convention is in Texas uh January 9 through 11 in San Antonio and and that's where a lot of coaching positions get filled um or can get filled is because they all get together and um they can actually talk to people one on one without it being you know tracking uh the airplane into raleigh durham and all that kind of thing so something to keep in mind uh i don't know if it'll play out that way but i think that's how fedora got hired was uh they met up at the coaches convention i believe that's that's correct i can't remember exactly but gregory
3: you said you had a question for mike on the slack go ahead and ask it and then i'm gonna bounce back to vip because i've got a question about um, player-led leadership and all, and, and folks also, the folks in the chat are asking um, stuff. Uh, Greg Barnes posted on premium message boards thread that um, any breaking news will come on Inside Carolina premium message board or on the site. So this is a a, a free podcast, so we're not going to break the world with breaking news. So just stay tuned to Inside Carolina. Messing we hope sports. to get off
4: before any breaking news breaks on us. <laughs> yeah,
3: before it breaks over our heads. Uh, but you never know this day and age. Go ahead, Gregory.
2: Yeah. So I mean, similar to what your point that you have, Tommy, is just. Um, I mean, you could look across college football and you can point to teams that play tough and respond and aren't soft, and you can point to other soft teams. It's not like UNC is the only team in the country, right? It's just about expectations versus reality and things like that. So my question is directed towards Mike, but really just opinion of everyone. Like why are so like, it's the same generation, right? It's not like the tough teams have Mike's generation still playing. Right. So where is it simply the coaching staff and Bateman going? And if anyone, anyone else changes is that simple. Is it getting some of the seniors and older guys gone is it like what? What is it in your opinion that can make UNC go from the softer side to the non-soft side? Is it like is it simple? Is it complex? Why? It, it's not like UNC is the only team having this issue, but they're also it's the same generation as the tough teams, as the Georgias, as I know. I'm when we give examples, we've said Alabama, we've said Georgia, but I mean. Look at what Wake did this year, or Pitt, right? I mean, Pat Narduzzi's grown a really great program up in Pittsburgh. Um, so where is it? Because it's the same generation playing college football right now across the country.
0: Um, it's a good question. Buck made a, a great point earlier about painting with a broad brush. Um, I will say that my generation, you know, was nothing special. I mean, it was no different than any other generation of players. I mean, we had soft teams, we had soft players you know, that we played against, we had soft, we had soft players on our team. Um, you know, there's, that's just, that's just how it is. You have a, and Jason will tell you this and Vip will tell you this. And EJ would tell you this too. I mean, you, you just, you have a, a smattering of different types of guys that, you know, are, that make up the composite of a locker room. I think what changes the on-field product is uh, there, there's several things that contribute to that. First thing that comes to my mind is pressure. So, the teams that you see that, that play the hardest are often very deep teams. So if you're, if you're a starter and you're worried about losing your job because the guy behind you is that good or was that highly ranked or um, you, know, you know the coaches want to get him on the field somehow, some way, and the only way that's going to happen is if you slip up once or twice you know, and you get Wally pipped, uh, fear is a, is a very strong motivator. Um, and fear will yield results if used in the right way, fear can, can, can yield results that, um, maybe a lot of other intrinsic motivators won't necessarily yield. Um, and I don't mean that players are out there playing scared. I think what it is, is, you know, pressure is probably the better word. You guys have pressure to keep your job. Um, and you have to do whatever you have to do to stay one step ahead. What that does, is it makes you from a development standpoint, it'll force you to do your own work. Take the things you're being taught, which this staff, I said on the podcast with Vip and EJ, this staff has a lot of years of coaching under its belt. The things they teach these guys, I have to assume work um, and have worked for other players in the past. So what you do is you take the things that your coaches with all their years of experience and their wisdom, you know, hopefully are teaching you that's correct and workable. You implement that and then you make it better. You refine it you tune it to your own game. The best players will take that extra step, but often what pushes a good player to do that versus just you know, resting on their laurels and rolling a ball out on a Saturday and going to play is pressure from the guy behind him. I got to stay a step ahead of that guy. And when that guy's working to try and beat that next guy out and you both have this yin and yang and this push and pull, um, that makes everybody better. It makes the on-field product ultimately better. The starters are better for that. The other thing is the weight room. Um, and I, and I know the, I know our strength staff is highly regarded. The players love them. And I don't think there's any question that Brian's doing the things that he needs to be doing. Um, but just as a general, you know, just a, a, a general picture here, your strength staff will have a big impact on the product you see on the field, you know, winning in the fourth quarter and toughness and all those cliches, that's all built in the off season. And that, that strength staff spends more time with those players than, than the position coaches do than the head coach does you know, throughout the calendar year. I mean, they're with them almost every day when you're allowed to be on per NCAA rules. And then the off season, when the coaches either aren't, you know, it's no contact period or they're on the road recruiting, you're with your, you're with your strength staff. How they coach you, how they train you, the pressure they put on you and the, the, and the situations they put you in, the non-football pressure that they put on you through the training phase, all of that will have a translation onto the field during the season too. Um so you know you've got pressure from players on the depth chart, you've got off-season coaching, and then there's really just an intrinsic kind of you know who's the guy you're recruiting. High level competitors want to win, they want to compete. Um, but more than winning, more than winning and competing, they want to be better than the next guy. That feeds into that first fact, you know, that first thing we talked about about development and being pushed by the depth chart and who's behind you. But the best players want to be better than the guy they're playing against. They want to be better than their peer on whatever other team or better, better than the draft prospect that's sitting a spot ahead of them in the rankings. All that stuff, you know, in a high-level competitor, that's in their mind. And not every guy is a high-level competitor. To get to the Division One Power Five level, you got to be good. You have to have a competitive drive. But then once you get here, there is a different gear. And the best coaching staffs and the best recruiters can identify that in a high school kid based on tape, based on conversations with that kid, based on conversations with that kid's coaches, his teammates, his family at the in-home visits. But the best coaches, the best recruiters can identify that stuff. And when you fill a roster with that kind of guy, it all just creates this cycle. They work harder because they just generally want to work harder. They want to be better. They also work harder because the guy behind them is, is pushing them. They work harder in the offseason as a result of both of those things, and they get more out of that offseason training program than would a normal player under similar, under similar circumstances. So there's a lot of just intrinsic, I want to be goodness, is the worst way I can say that. But a desire to be great, that is something that not every player has. And it sounds cliche and it sounds kind of hokey, but it is true. So all of those things, when you talk about soft teams versus tough teams, the quote tough teams have soft players on those rosters. They got soft players in that starting lineup, but on the whole, it's made up of guys that have those intrinsic values and those values translate to production on the field.
5: Yeah. Quick, quickly building on, on what Mike said there, there on the, on the, the first thing I, I remember talking to a couple of um, recruiting coordinators when I was when I a coaching uh, and was talking to them about some some prospects, and basically hearing, "Look, what what I want to know is is he a dog, right? And that is coach speak for is this a guy who just is going to be tenacious to the point of he, he'd rather die than lose." <laughs> and there, <laughs> that's the thing that that, uh, uh, you know, the, the best evaluators are going to find that's what, that's what you're talking about is that, that function. And and you think about, I'm not, I don't think Michael Jordan is the most talented basketball player to ever play. There were other people, there were other people who are as talented or more talented than Michael Jordan. But when you put Michael Jordan's competitiveness bucks freaking out right now. Yeah. When you put other people's competitive, when you put Michael Jordan's competitiveness and his, you know, th- there's a reason that, and I took that personal, has become a meme. Jordan's ability to make everything into a personal slight so that he had to take the soul of the person across from him. Even if he was better than that guy, he had to sh- he had to show it one more time and, and push that guy down one more time that's that thing and that's what made Jordan the best right you could have a guy that might be more talented than Michael Jordan yeah but not better right because that aspect distinguishes you Um, and so the the other thing too is being a line of scrimmage guy Mike this is where having those guys on each side of the ball makes a difference right if you have Defensive linemen who play like that and practice like that—that's going to force the offensive linemen in practice to either get their butts kicked every day, or to start bringing it, and vice versa. And what have we seen on the North Carolina line of scrimmage the last couple of years? We've—I've—I've mean, seen, I've,
0: I've seen deterioration on both sides. We've seen deterioration
5: on both sides, and what I've noticed is I—I I just don't see the overall hair on fire to use Buck's terminology approach from either line of scrimmage in terms of the the players there i don't see that level of attention to detail and effort of i'm going to put this guy on the ground i see a lot of guys that are just doing their assignment and that's something that is on both sides of the ball and it's it, it like you said you have to have enough players that that starts to reinforce itself the other direction but i think it reinforced itself in the opposite direction we had enough players who were happy to be there and then didn't have that dog in him to be able to to do that
3: let's uh let me come back to vip and buck i agree with you um jason's lucky um we don't have a solid backup Or he'd be on the bench right now um, with the Michael Jordan comments. Disqualifying (laughs) statement. (laughs) It's just like. Didn't say
5: he's not the best, but talent talent and quality are different things.
3: The most talented and the most driven. (laughs) That would be Mike Jordan. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm at a loss. Vip, first of all, I wanted to ask all of you guys this because you've all been part of the team, but Vip, you can start it. And then I do want to hear. Um, I think the listeners need to hear again about the jump from 14 to 15. But how big a deal is it that some and maybe we've made of there being so much young talent on this team and then the upperclassmen are less talented? And how much does that create a division on a team? Um, I'm always of the point of of the belief that you get what you allow. So whatever goes on negative, the coach and staff must allow it because if they allow it to happen, it happens. If they don't allow it to happen, it won't happen, at least not for long. But, Vip, to that point, is there a divide, a real divide on teams when the talent that's younger is so much more um, higher ranked? We're not going to say more talented, Jason. We're not going to use that word. We're
5: just going to say higher ranked. Hey, Len Bias was in the same ballpark talent-wise.
3: Hey, he's one of my favorite. He's my favorite non-Carolina guy ever. So you get uh, points same, for that.
5: Same, same arena talent-wise, but look at the look at what, what distinguished him.
4: Well, I think death. Yeah, did. I started to say something <laughs> bad there. <laughs> but, uh, but
3: Vip... I started boy, to go yeah. play the Park very dark. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Tommy, it's too soon, man. <laughs> hey,
3: I actually got a bias jersey for Christmas. So uh, anyway, Vip, let's get this back on the rails.
1: I don't think there's that much division there between the young talent and the older talent as long as the 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 knowledge is there that the coaching staff is going to play whoever this team gives them the best chance to win where if if it's the older guy because the older guy knows what it's what he's supposed to do there's an understanding on the team that that's why the younger guys aren't playing and when the fans are like you know why isn't x playing or why is this guy only getting 10 snaps it's the coaches i i can almost 1000% assure you that the coaches are trying to play the people that they think gives gives them the best chance to win these are still guys who their livelihood depends on on this game and they're not going they're not going into a game and saying Oh, this guy's a senior, so we have to play him. If if the freshman is playing at a high level, you saw that last year when Carolina the 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 team started sliding defensively, some players individually, and then they come out from the bye week. And I think it was maybe the Wake Forest game where you see more Miles Murphy, you saw more Aquarius Conley when he gets healthy, you saw more Tony Grimes where it doesn't matter if you're a freshman, a sophomore, a junior, a senior. The coaching staff is going to play the people that they think gives them the best chance. And if they're, if you don't have that understanding, that's just a a much bigger problem that you're going to have in a locker room. If if the younger players are sitting there and saying like, you know, why why am I not playing? If that's the case, then you you kind of have a responsibility to go to the coaching staff and try to figure out where is that disconnect coming from. All right, Mike. I know you
3: got a role here. We've been going for a while. Um, what is Carolina looking for in a defensive coordinator? I know it's the opposite side of the ball from you, but it's all relevant and it's yeah. all uh, connected. What do you see that Matt Brown needs to accomplish with a new guy?
0: We need um, we need more pressure on the quarterback, and we need better safety help. And that doesn't mean we need more talent at either level. Um, we just need more. Uh, soundness in terms of assignment football from both uh, we don't have we don't have just a killer pass rusher right now we you know fox you know i guess but he's also 27 years old you know all due respect to him I mean, he's a 60 year senior he's you know he's played a lot of football you know he's he's playing against younger kids he's had more time in college I mean, he's he, sh- he should be he should have he, he should be a good pass rusher he was good but he's not that just tenacious Hellraiser pass rusher that we're looking for. He's not like you know. I, I'll say Robert Quinn, but that's not fair because there's not a lot of the there's not a lot of those guys every single year across the country. But a guy like that, you know, a guy that you know, think George Selvey, Jason Pierre-Paul, USF when they had both of those guys. Okay, that that team was as high as number two in the country. That is the University of South Florida in Tampa, which is the middle of Florida. You know, go figure that one they were the number two team in the country and that defense was stout and it started with their pass rush. So if you want to get better on defense, you got to put pressure on a quarterback. And if you're going to put pressure on a quarterback, you got to have, you know, if you're going to have guys that are going to be pinning their ears and pass rushing, when they lose, you got to have back end help. So we got to have better safety help. And again, it's not a talent thing. I think we've got pretty talented defensive backs. And and I understand, you know, Jay was in charge of the safeties and Dre primarily coaches the, the corners, you know, whoever we get in, you know, if we need to have one defensive backs coach versus a corners coach and a safeties coach, that's what we need to do. But whatever needs to happen, there's got to you know there's got to be you know I call it I call it top line you know which is which is your defensive line. There's got to be some some top line improvement and there's got to be back end improvement with the safeties. And I think if you improve those two things, you know, in terms of the linebacking core we have coming back um, from an abilities perspective, I don't think there's any question we've got talented linebackers. We I mean we've got guys. I think we have a depth problem at linebacker, frankly. Um, I I think there's a lot of talent stacked up in that linebacking room. Might end up losing some guys. Hopefully we don't. Um, But I think our linebackers are fine. You know, always work on pass coverage skills from the linebacker spot. But the best two things we can do is – or the the best person we can find is somebody who's able to put players in a position to be successful from a pass rush perspective and put those same guys, which may require position changes – in a position to be successful on back-end coverage from the safety spot. I think if we can do those two things, you'll see a marked improvement. Um, that plus assignment football. I mean, our, our pursuit angles are terrible and our are our, our, our horrible. Tackling in space is terrible. We've been, you know, ragging on it all year long. That is purely a drills, practice, you know, repetition issue. Um, you get that handled, you know, you can deal with the, with the pass
2: rush and the back-end stuff. But,
0: you know, those things we can find a guy that can – Control those. I think I think our defense will have a di- little different flavor next year.
2: What can be fixed in the spring? I know, like we're talking about next year, and still don't know who the DC is going to be. But what can be fixed in? What was it March? Is that what, yeah. when all these practices happen? Short term, uh,
0: immediately, tackling can be fixed in the spring, and that's what the spring is. Spring ball is all technique. It's all fundamentals. You can fix tackling. You can fix pursuit angles. You can frankly increase football IQ in the springtime. You simplify things, and you have guys focus on. On very specific, you know, scenarios—the stuff you're going to see the most. Um, Good coaches know what you're going to see the most come the season. You drill that stuff in the springtime, and you get guys really good. You know, call it bread and butter, call it fundamentals, call it you know standards, call whatever you want to call it. Um, You know, but the five, six, seven things you know you're going to see every single Saturday from a defensive perspective—the types of plays. uh the 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 types of offenses you're going to be up against the types of schemes and personnel groups that kind of stuff and then what happens when a play when a play breaks loose those specific scenarios you can drill that stuff in the springtime Um, but you can you can hammer down tackling you can hanger you can hammer down pursuit angles and you can really improve football iq in the springtime so short term that's your answer and physicality to an extent yeah
5: because you can beat up guy, you can you can beat up your team a lot more in the spring than you can at any other point because you've got three months to heal.
3: So I, I guess the question would be, what have they been doing for the past three springs?
5: Well, well not spring, one is
0: COVID. Well, yeah, well, and and valid. didn't have one in COVID. And spring ball sucks, man. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. I mean, spring ball is not all that fun, uh, for me. My junior, my senior year going into my senior it's year was a
4: horrible generation that Mike Ingersoll is a part of. <laughs> just
1: exactly.
0: <doesn't> I just don't love him. It's not a football guy, not a big a football. A bunch guy. of <laughs>
4: soft, wussy-fied guys <laughs> couldn't stand spring ball.
0: I got, I tell you what, I got, I, uh, Too you got bad cl- we didn't
4: have a transfer portal in <laughs> those days.
0: Now, there was a lot of people wanted me to transfer out of here. I, I can assure you of that um, a <laughs> lot of people subscribed to this, uh, to this channel. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, spring is tough. I mean, you got class, you got work, you got full blown workouts. It's, you're not taking anything easy in the spring. And then you got practice in the afternoon. And every practice is like a Tuesday practice. I mean, it's full pads. It's two hours out there. Um, you're working on as an older player, you're working on basic stuff. I know that my junior year, you know, going into my junior year, it was like no light at the end of the tunnel. I was not going to be a guy who left early for the draft. I wasn't even thinking about the draft. Didn't think it was a possibility for me. So I'm just looking at it. Like I'm bogged down in this, you know, I got to go to practice and I don't play a game for, at one point I had the days figured out, but you know, for months I don't play, I don't lace up and play a game. I mean, why am I sitting here killing myself, getting beat up? Why why do I got to be here sweating, cramping, jamming my fingers, getting cuts, bruises. I mean, this is, this is annoying. Um, (laughs) I didn't understand my purpose. Um, I ended up finding it, but the very beginning of spring ball is always a little frustrating and it sort of drags on too. going into my senior year as a different animal. I had much more appreciation for the process. I had much more appreciation for the things that I was doing. Some of that was just getting older and being a little more mature. Um, but the reason why that's not happening in spring ball is number one, COVID, like Jason said, they didn't have one number two, you know, it, maybe guys don't ever make that jump. Like I did. I use myself as the example, cause I only know what was going on in my head. Um, my personal experience was: I know I made a jump, an appreciation jump, and a respect for the process that I was going through. Jump. Um, I don't know that all guys go through that in the springtime. They just stay in that quagmire that I was stuck in. You know, like my sophomore junior year, where it was just like this sucks. I don't want to do this.
4: You also had Brennan Williams pushing you the last year. You were. Brennan, I had Bren- right?
0: I had Brennan Williams pushing me. Brennan was a Brennan was a good player. Um, and, I, and he was he's a guy. When I, when I talk about guys behind you on a depth chart that are highly ranked, that you know can play, that you know the coaching staff wants on the field, Brennan was one of those guys, and he certainly pushed me to be a better player, absolutely.
3: All right, my brother. I appreciate you taking the time to join us. I'm going to let you bail. Um, we're going to get close to wrapping this one up, but I appreciate your insight as always. Look forward to it um, as we push towards the spring and then another season. It'll be here before we know it. Thanks, Mike.
0: Yeah, man. See you guys.
3: Later days, Taylor Vipulis, do me a favor and tell our listeners, if they haven't heard the fourteen fifteen 15 story, um, how Carolina went from getting dump trucked by Rutgers in Detroit to playing for the ACC championship in just uh, a few short months and why that is um, not necessarily out of the question for this bunch, given the talent that's coming back.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing first off is the coaching staff did a great job. They brought in um, these people from this thing called the program, which was like a military uh, style of, of thinking where they kind of talked to us about leading by example. There is no such thing as leading by example, because leading by example is just going out there and doing your job where you, you can't be worried about getting on somebody if they're kind of compromising the overall team goal, where if if somebody like Marquise Williams, who has all the talent in the world, he's a great college quarterback, if he's just kind of going through the motions one day at practice, we can't have somebody like Landon Turner or like Quinshaw Davis afraid to get in somebody's face like Marquise, no matter how talented he is, and kind of demand that that excellence from him and that standard we kind of set. And it's it's something like where in this situ in like say this situation happens, you also have to have the responsibility as a teammate if somebody like Marquis is going through the motions where he he can't get in his feelings if somebody like Landon or somebody like Mac is getting in his face or on the defensive side of the ball we had Jeff Schottmer, Shaquille Rashad, a lot of great leaders where you, you had to be able to hold other guys accountable. And I know you guys were saying before where it's like the, the players who are doing this have to be the best where our 2015 team, we really didn't have that mindset where we kind of looked at it, whatever, with all the walk-ons, like one to 130, like everybody was on the same level because everybody had the same goal of being the team that we didn't want to be the team that got embarrassed, um, by Rutgers. And you can point to it and be like, you know, what, what kind of happened in, in the Russell athletic bowl, where you guys gave up a, a bowl game record for rushing yards. Well, we ran into an offensive line. That was a bunch of upperclassmen for Baylor. And they were all, you know, I think they were all like 300 plus pounds where our team, our team wasn't soft. We were just outmanned from the defensive line position, and I think that's that's something we talk about a lot. Where, if if I remember, this conversation was pretty big. Um, not not so much this year, but maybe when Mac first got there or last year. Like, what would happen if the 2015 team played um, this team or the team last year? And not so much the team last year because I think the team last year had better player leadership but like we talk about it all the time like the team we watch for this carolina team like jason mentioned it's a soft football team like if if we could see that the other team across from you can see that and like we talk about the 2015 team all the time where it's like if we went up against this team we would make them quit before the second quarter was even finished and we would have our, our starters wouldn't play in the fourth quarter. And like, if, if we have the the realization of that, like I just mentioned, like everybody else should be able to see that. And I think one thing the the 2015 team really did well is coach Fedora kind of opened it up to the team. Like, do you guys have any suggestions for what to do to make this team better? And a lot of um, a lot of points we made to him where we wanted practice to be more competitive, like Jason was talking about before, where, we didn't want to practice at 50% and then have to go in a game and be at a hundred percent. We wanted to practice at 110%. So the games were easier. So, you know, if uh, a scout team running back, like Charles Brunson, who I think Charles Brunson could have played at almost any power five school and, and been a contributor, but you know, he's behind uh, Romar. Uh, he's behind uh, TJ Logan, Elijah hood, where in, in scout our scout team, it, it, we were going to try to be more competitive than the team that they were going to play. So when we go up against a Miami or when we go up against a Pittsburgh, they weren't thrown off by how, how intense it was or thrown off in that sense. And I know a lot of people, the criticism of the 2015 team is that we had a soft schedule where I think it's actually we made it look like such a soft schedule because of the intensity and we knew we had to go out there and earn everybody's respect, especially after the, when we laid an egg against South Carolina in the opener. And I, I I don't want to say it and say like the 2015 team and the Fedora era was, was so much better because I think they obviously had a demise for, for their program where it was a lot of recruiting misses. And honestly, I think from, from when we talk about it, it's like, the people that started getting recruited to UNC, kind of like what we're seeing now, they kind of thought that they had a a part in the success for the 2015 team and the 2016 team where you know, they came in and they thought they had something to do with that. They might not have thought that they had to work as hard. And then all of a sudden, once you start compounding that with recruiting misses, you you do have a tailspin of a program. And I think when, when I'm talking about all this player leadership, you know, Carolina put five guys in the NFL this year. And I don't think it's even a question of who they miss the most in that locker room. It's a guy like Michael Carter, where i I think Javante Williams, I don't think anybody would argue. Javante Williams is probably a better overall running back. Uh, Chad Surratt played a huge part on that defense, but Michael Carter, there's a reason why if you go on the jet social media page, they have Michael Carter talking like every week. It's because guys love Michael Carter. They love listening to a guy like Michael Carter. It's a guy like our our whole motto was like, I got your back. And when you're playing with somebody like Michael Carter, he's a guy who's not going to be afraid to be that voice in the locker room where, like we've talked about at times this year, where we don't really know if Sam Howell is like that because we really don't see that on the field where he kind of just tries to go about doing his job where there there really isn't. Uh, leading by example, like I kind of just mentioned.
3: Yeah, I just think, you know, a lot of people are debating what the 15 team would do against the 20 team and all that. The bottom line is the 15 team got it done, um, except for the South Carolina game and then sort of ran out of gas there at the end, had an opportunity against Clemson, you guys did, and then Baylor, we won't talk about that game. Buck, um, if we are sitting here a month from now, and you are in a good mood and, um, looking forward to the spring and looking forward to the fall of 2022, what has Mike Brown done to get you there? That's open ended as heck, but that's my question.
4: I don't know. Maybe split his salary with me or <laughs> something along those lines. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I think you, you, you. The thing that, uh, you know, when you were asking Mike about things getting done in the spring, to me, um, I think critical for this uh, 2020 team is they have to find their five best guys on the offensive line really quickly. They got to find those guys fast because um, whoever is on the starting offensive line next year. They're not going to have the benefit of having played together for multiple years. It's going to be new to them as a starting unit playing together. And, uh, you know, Mike talks about the right guard, typing the right tackle on the leg to let him know about this or that that's getting ready to happen, That they got to find that continuity and that, um, there are five best players on the offensive line, and they got to do that quickly to give those guys as many reps as they possibly can before they go to the fall practice. If, if we see that develop early, that would make me happier. Um, I'd like to see, um, development in the wide receiving room. Um, and, and I, I think, I don't know why I feel this way, but because last year I felt like the wide receiver room was going to be okay. I was much more worried about the running backs. Um, next year, I feel exactly the opposite. It didn't turn out that way. Um, I could say that, but, uh, I think the running back room will be okay. Um, I think Hampton is a stud. I think, uh, Edmonds can help. Um, British books can help. I think they've got some, um, some bodies in the running back room. Um, but at wide receiver, I think they need some guys to really establish themselves as, um, security blankets for whoever starts at quarterback next year. So I think those would be on offense, uh, two things I would be looking for. Definitely got to have, um, better, uh, defensive line play and a more established pecking order there. And on the safety side, uh, as, as Mike was talking about, um, They've got to sort the, the safety situation out. I think that's been a team weakness for the last two years, uh, except for, you know, isolated games or in stretches of games. So if you can sort some of that stuff out, I'll be feeling better headed into, uh, you know, the offseason. season.
2: Do we think sorting that stuff out defensively is as easy as bringing in a new guy and Cause like new scheme, is that difficult? How do we feel about that? Jason, I'm curious your thoughts as far as like new scheme. Well, we've seen it before,
4: it- right? We've seen it before, mm-hmm. um, when Gene Chizik came in, um, he completely revamped the defense, completely different scheme. Um, uh, they went to a, a totally different, um, uh, revamping of the defense. And a lot of people didn't like Gene Chiswick's defense because it was, uh, very much so a bend don't break. Uh, we're going to make them drive the ball, um, you know, 10 plays every time or more if they're going to score. And so we're going to play, keep everything in front of us, that sort of thing. Um, even though a lot of people hated to watch that kind of defense, it worked. It's similar
5: to Narduzzi's
2: quarters, right?
5: No, Narduzzi's the opposite. He's trying to the whole point of Narduzzi's scheme is to try to get you off the field in three plays or one play, depending on if you beat him for Score a, for a, touchdown. a long touchdown or if you <laughs> if you're the three and out.
4: Gotcha. But but I'm, that's just an example of how uh, the switch can uh, get flipped from one defensive coordinator to another with a change of scheme. I mean, yeah. Um, uh, the, the, the defense before him, um, Chiswick, they were into hybrids, you know, they had a hybrid, uh, defensive lineman. Uh, they had a hybrid, uh, linebacker slash safety in the, in the backfield and, and did some pretty innovative stuff. It just didn't work, um, at UNC for whatever reason. And I, I blame some of that on. Uh, Fedor just being more focused on the defensive side, on the offensive side of the ball. He kind of let the, the defense kind of do their own thing. <laughs> uh, and uh, but anyway, it's just an example of 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 how things can change pretty rapidly with uh, uh, changing defensive coordinator. Uh, and a big were part of
5: that coaches. one, a big part of that one was that the 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 scheme that they were running prior to chiswick was was kind of misaligned with the personnel that they had and what what they were able to do is get guys in better positions with chiswick's defense in that and going Ben but don't break with the talent that they had at that time as well that was not a team yeah. that could pressure you and you know try to get you off the field the best the best shot it they really had was never doing...
4: was the entire time I mean, he was only there two years but yeah
5: but those two uh, years they didn't have the talent to to yeah. you know go after you and, you know, all of that, it was a, well, you know, the best shot is to try to force teams to make mistakes against you and yeah. to do well in the red zone. And that's what they did. And they, they found the best way forward. Uh, so there's so an yeah. example
4: of, uh, Chizik fitting his scheme to the personnel that he had. Yep. And, and I think probably, um, uh, the best defensive coordinators and, and offensive coordinators, um, uh, to be honest. Although I could go back and forth on that a little bit, are, are are going to do are going to produce their best defenses when they tailor their schemes and what they're trying to do schematically with the personnel they've got available to them. Yep. Uh, so.
5: Yep. No question.
3: All right. Let me uh, let me close this one up, Jason. Um, you've been pretty um, outspoken on the coaching or the lack thereof from certain positions. Um, We know that Jay Bateman's moving on. Um, You know, I'm not an insider, and I'm certainly not going to break any inside news here. I'd be surprised if he was the only name that changed on the coaching staff. So what does Matt Brown need to accomplish coaching hire-wise this offseason going into the spring to sort of maximize what I think is going to be a pretty talented roster in 2022 um, still relatively young um, when you compare it to some of the other teams around. But um, there will be talent that whoever comes in will have something to work with, Jason. What's it look like um, in and around a new defensive coordinator and possibly on the offense?
5: So in order to answer that, I, I do have to address a little bit of the last thing as well in terms of, you know, is, it, is scheme really the, the thing here? They could hire someone to run exactly the same scheme and potentially have the same kind of transformation right and scheme uh-huh. i've been very outspoken from the beginning here that scheme has not been the problem with what north carolina has been doing uh the, the problem has been execution of that scheme which boils down to coaching guys to do their jobs and to play with their hair on fire and all that and defensively just as a rule you know once you have an experienced defensive coordinator who's calling you know Quarters like Narduzzi or, you know, Tampa Two like uh, Chiswick or whatever, you know, your your uh, Rip Liz, like uh, like Kirby Smart, Saban and Bateman, you know, those guys, you know, doing a lot of that stuff. Uh, you know, the, the, each coach has their different preferences and all that, but all those defenses are sound. What what differentiates coordinators and, and position coaches and all that first and foremost, especially on the defensive side is buy in can you get your players to buy into doing what you're telling them to do at 150 percent can they play that hard doing exactly what there's what they're asked to do in that spot and have they have they been sold that if they do that that's gonna that's gonna result in success so the first step Really, regardless of what other changes are made, has to be selling the, the defensive side or, and wherever changes are made and wherever changes aren't made, frankly, but selling this team and selling those defenders on what you're asking them to do and, and getting them to play with the level of intensity and consistency that's necessary to be excellent. I do agree. I think the talent is there for them to be to take a, a step forward, especially on the defensive side. They could take two steps forward next year. But that's not going to happen without top-level buy-in. And frankly, I don't care what scheme they run. I mean, they could they could go to an a, a straight-up even front, let's go one gap all the way and just let the defensive lineman get up the field. We're going to put four guys at their hand in the dirt, and then we're going to play two linebackers behind them and nickel. We're just going to do what, you know, your base nickel like everybody does. And only the only change we'll make is go one gap with four guys rushing all the time from the same spots. Fine, do it. But you dang well better have your guys absolutely sold out doing what they're doing and knowing what they're supposed to do and responding rather than thinking. React right? If they can do that, they'll, they'll, they'll be there. We just haven't seen that. We've seen a lot of guys who are just not playing with that level of intensity, consistency, and, uh, and commitment to, within the scheme. Beyond that, I do think that whoever is the higher at the defensive coordinator spot, I and Buck, you said this before, I 100% agree with you. All of the assistant coaches should have to interview with that guy. If you're the defensive coordinator and you're coming in to to run your thing, then you need to have a unified staff that's all on the same page. And you need to be able to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to all the guys on staff. And I don't care about recruiting or anything else. There at least needs to be a, yeah, you know what? I can work with Dre Bly. He knows he's been at every level. He's coached, you know, he's coached in multiple types of defenses. He's run every coverage there is to run. And he knows his techniques. He can coach what I'm wanting him to do, wanting to do. We're on the same page. I want Dre. I want. And if all the all the assistants pass through that, and that's who the defensive coordinator wants, then great. But if there's one or two guys, three guys, whatever, that that defensive coordinator interviews, looks at the tape, looks at different things, is taking notes and saying that technique is terrible. Uh, and starts to ask some questions about things and then comes to the conclusion that I can't really have the unity, the unified vision on my side of the ball with this guy on my staff, then, there, then you need to make the change there. Because buy-in from the players starts with unity of voice from the coaching staff. And if you have pieces on the coaching staff that maybe aren't all in alignment, then that's going to mean your players at some point are going to have a disconnect and they're not going to be bought in. So that those are the most important things. And then beyond that, I mean, offensively, I would really want to kind of make sure that, that uh, on the offensive line in particular, that Cyril's has good help From I mean, if you, if you're going to keep Cyril's uh, I don't know what decisions are going to be made in terms of all of this, but, if you keep serials, you have, you have to make sure he has good help with a really good uh, graduate assistant or, you know, something like that. Ideally, a graduate assistant who can help in practice to make sure that, that they're uh, pay, paying special attention to detail on things that you, didn't, that you let slide. And that you, you know, they know what they're doing. Just make sure that things aren't allowed to slip uh, and, you know, get, and get accountable on some of that. And then if you make a change there, get the best offensive line guy you can. Because they've got to get better on the line of scrimmage. And, you know, considering they're playing guys that weren't able to beat this group out this year, it remains to be seen whether they're going to be able to do that. So this needs to be a, a, a very intense and very detailed thing on that side of the ball. Otherwise, I don't think there's a whole lot to do. But defensively, they need to be in a court.
3: I agree. I think you can pretty much tell um, by the way the team played on that side of the ball that there was – not a lot of unity, um, in the building in KFC. I'm going to wrap this one. Anything got it. You got anything else, but what, what have we done? We've we, uh, we, uh, taken all the fellows off of this Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have. We will, uh, we will reconvene when news dictates that we convene, um, of course, stay tuned to Greg Barnes and his reporting on Inside Carolina, especially on the Inside Carolina Premium Message Boards. If you're not a member of that, you need to join. Uh, I mean, it's, there's never a dull moment um, if you have an Inside Carolina Premium subscription and you get all the information, and you get all the basketball recruiting, football recruiting, everything. A ton of great questions in the chat. As always, ton of loyal listeners. We appreciate you guys joining us. Gregory Hall it has done Yeoman's work keeping this one on the rails and keeping it live on YouTube. Taylor Vipples has joined us. I know he's ready to get some dinner. Jason Staples joins us, joined us and, and filled us in. I think buy-in is number one. Doesn't matter who's standing at the front of the room, unless everybody's bought in, it won't matter. And that includes the head man. So there's some work to do for everybody in Keenan Football Center. Buck Sanders has complete buy-in from his Inside Carolina staff, as you can tell. Um, And that's why it's such a fine, smooth run machine. And Johnny T-shirt realizes that because they Mm. sponsor us and they also like our Inside Carolina premium subscribers. You get that 10% off. Rate us, review us, subscribe, join, get in on the fun, whatever you need to do. Just be a part of it here at InsideCarolina.com. Thanks, boys.
1: Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome
0: to the NBA
5: Finals.
1: Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left
5: standing. My goodness! Here's the high-stakes action, to thrilling moments we can't miss. He the game at the buzzer! And to crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. Bow! The 2024 NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV continue on ABC.